Hello and welcome to Research Top Tips from Myelopathy Matters, supporting AOSpine Recode DCM. In this series, we're learning from some of the world's leading surgeon scientists, how they overcome common challenges to develop research programs, such as acquiring funding, developing and running a clinical trial, or transitioning from clinical practice into academia. However, in this episode, we hear from Dr. Shaker Kurpad, Professor of Neurological Surgery at the Medical College Wisconsin, USA, on what it takes to successfully develop a clinical and academic practice in parallel. My name is Dr. Benjamin Davies, Co-Principal Investigator of AOSpine Recode DCM, and this is Research Top Tips from AOSpine and Myelopathy.org. Welcome, Shaker. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. And um, thank you for sharing some of your perspectives as, as we go through this. But perhaps we could start by, you know, what enticed you from that clinical position into a, into a dual role, uh, academic and clinical? I've always been a physician scientist ever since I started this position as a junior faculty member. And I think that physician scientist uh, role evolved through graduate school and through residency for me because I... I've always felt, and I think this is a, uh, a programmatic recognition for several decades, really, by the NIH and other entities like it, that believe in the physician-scientist pathway as an important piece of improvements in, in medicine. Not necessary that everybody who's a physician-scientist have you know, both a graduate and a medical degree. I think a physician-scientist can come from you know, the MD pool or the MBBS pool, depending on where you are in the world. But I think the concept of physicians also being researchers, or at least being a guiding force behind the direction of research is really important because physicians are the individuals that understand what research information is practically translatable and what might not lend itself to practical translation and what patients look for when they come to a physician for treatment. So I think physicians are the the key bridge in that process of being able to translate new technology or new research into clinical treatments. And I think that that was the underlying motivation for me to pursue along this pathway. And that's how I got started. And I've worked hard to try and maintain growth along both those paths ever since. And have you found any challenges in that, having to wear two hats rather than one? I think the, the obvious and the most significant challenge is time. Um, I think if you look at life in general as a bell curve of productivity from early 20s to, let's say, mid-60s, there are many competing interests for a finite number of hours in a day. So if one has to be a productive clinician, one has to be a productive scientist. And at some point, if one is a productive physician and a scientist, there will necessarily be an administrative role that is superimposed on that. So now that's three things. And then certainly one has one's family commitments. And so it's less the ability, but more so time management, which sounds somewhat basic when I say it like that. But but I think it really is, is an important thing to be able to 
to be able to manage time so that it can be properly allocated so each of those missions can be attended to in a wholesome way. So I think that's the biggest challenge in my mind, to, to be able to be successful as a physician scientist, to be able to manage time. Beyond that, of course, there's the ability to have good ideas, ability to translate them, ability to be an empathetic physician. These are all traits that being successful as a clinician or a researcher, any researcher or clinician needs to have those traits. You know, a successful researcher should be able to have you know, someone with good ideas who can take into context research findings that are available so far and build upon them or maybe even come up with a radically new productive idea. Uh, or a clinician who can be empathetic, who can be a technically a, a good surgeon if, if one is a surgeon. So those are all individual traits along those individual pathways. But putting it all together and still being effective, I think, is an exercise in time management. Interesting. And presumably some of those traits, you know, can be shared. You know, there is there's always room for collaboration and collaboration is often a, a key part of, of succeeding in, in a time pressured environment. Absolutely. I think uh, the current state of science and, and clinical medicine is such that no one person can carry the torch, if you will. So I think it is really important to identify and work with key collaborators that are complementary, whether it's in the context of a single institution and having people from different subspecialties and areas of knowledge come together, or whether it's across institutions and have people with similar background in, 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 as being physician scientists be able to come together. And I think the Knowledge Forum for AO Spine is a very, very good example of, of, of people from different institutions with the same thought processes and, and the same backgrounds uh, coming together to make the field better. And just going back, I guess, to the, the top there and, and, and the time the time pressures you, you've mentioned, is there things that you found over time that, that, that really helped you manage that time better um, to, to, to ensure that you can pursue both those those different roles? Absolutely. So just to give our listeners a context, I do roughly about 400 operations a year, which means that if you assume a 20% ratio of patients seen versus those that get an operation, you see, I see about five times as many patients over a year. And then I have a couple of grants, a research group, uh, and then administrative role uh, for the Department of Neurosurgery and Neuroscience Service Line uh, for our health system. So I think to maintain those activities, I, I try to break it down to the very basic pieces. And I think doing the same thing at the same time, relatively speaking, every day of the week is important to, to be able to do that successfully. At least for me, it has been. And it's been a learning experience, and it continues to be an evolving learning experience. So I operate on the same two days of the week, start at the same time those two days, schedule cases in a very, very reproducible order on those two days, you know, have clinic time scheduled at the same times every week, research time set aside the same day, same time every week, same number of hours every week. And of course, there's always going to be additions to, you know, unexpected assignments or projects that surface that were not necessarily planned for. So I think prioritizing those things is going to be the next layer, I think. But having a, a weekly structure where your, your time is accounted for so that every piece of that physician-scientist portfolio gets its due attention is extremely it's – a, it's, a, it's a very important starting point. And I guess that leads on to another question I had really, which was if you look, look at where you're up to now and perhaps where you started, you mentioned that you'd started thinking about that academic clinical pathway all the way back at medical school. Is there things that you've learned now which you wish, you'd, you, wish you had known at the beginning? 
I really don't think there has been too many surprises. I think the will to tackle the the volume of work and the discipline uh, with time is something that we now in, in in the field can do a good job of or a better job of communicating to to young people. The other thing that I think we don't necessarily do as well as we could is set up a system for open inquiry. I think a lot of the training processes are somewhat hierarchical and apprenticeship-based because it does take practice to become a good surgeon and does take practice to write a good grant. When students ask me questions, sometimes they come from a place of no bias, you know, whether it's a scientific thought process or whether it's a clinical process. And there's a lot to learn from that. And I think we, we, should, we could be doing a better job. So going back to your question about would I have wished that the structure would be slightly different, I think, I mean, I've had some of the world's best mentors and colleagues. Uh, and I'm, I'm very fortunate to have had that. But I think you know, from a formal perspective, I think having a structure that says, here's your time commitment, here are the things that you have to do, rather than having to learn them as I have along the process, as did probably my mentors, would be good, number one. Number two, I think having a more egalitarian forum, if you will, where students get as much say in terms of idea discussion as mentors of each scientific group or lab would be really beneficial to the field overall. I think that's an interesting comment, isn't it? Because obviously the the hierarchy exists in the training system but also in the way you know grants are reviewed interview process the whole thing does essentially have a certain predominance of people working their way forward rather than necessarily being more disruptive or open to the very disruptive non-biased thoughts at an earlier stage perhaps i think so and i think if you look at all fields i think medicine and health sciences are especially more structured along the hierarchical way than for example if you look at folks in Silicon Valley, not really anyone is over 40 when they came up with the next big idea. And so I think healthcare can do well to see if we can incorporate some of those practices into our maturation process. Is that something you've been able to do in your own own faculty? Yes. I think one of the things that I, so I'm, I'm the head of the department, I also lead the service line. One of the things that I've tried to do is we talked earlier when we, before we started recording about device development and we talked about business acumen so i'll just touch on two things that i've done one of them is we have a grand round structure every academic institution has a grand round structure but our grand rounds rotates from a topic perspective to classic traditional science like what we're discussing now to business people coming in and talking about like the business of healthcare to healthcare system leaders coming in, to device development folks that come in that talk about, for example, the spine robot, like what are the development opportunities? And they just, we have an open forum and the residents get to, I always tell my residents and they'll quote me on this, is that they're here to train and learn some of the ideas we know, but that I'd be upset with, very upset with them if in 10 to 20 years from now, they're doing the same things that we're doing today because one of their jobs, in my opinion, is so that they can learn what we're doing today so so that they can figure out ways to improve it, not to carry on the status quo. So I think having a more composite, broader education in non-traditional healthcare areas like business development and device development is extremely important because each of those things advances our, our field just as much as the next 
you know, molecular scientific breakthrough, in my opinion. I think it's it's important to, to have a, a perspective on all that. So that's, not, that's the first thing, to, to broaden the, the learning environment, to include things that we should be learning from the business world. And the second thing I've, I've tried to do is set up a mentorship structure. So everybody in the department, whether they're a MD or a, a physician assistant or, or or even a surgical scheduling person, they're all college graduates, and so everybody has a mentorship track that they connect with other people in our institution and sometimes beyond our institution and figure out how they can grow their careers. Because I think as a, as a department, as an institution, we have an obligation to develop every single employee, like, for example, Google would. You know, everybody has a chance to, to get to the next stage, regardless of what their background is. I think it's a more of an egalitarian approach, and but I think it's important because I think a good idea can come from anywhere. Uh, it doesn't have to be that, you know, it should only come from someone who has an MD, which is my view of the more historical, hierarchical, classical training paradigms is where, you know, physicians have a special status. But I think that's why we, we've tried to establish a mentorship program that extends across every member of the department, including myself. Like, you know, I, I feel like I need to have mentorship about financial decisions for the healthcare system, things like that. So I have someone that has nothing to do with neurosurgery that sort of I meet with on a twice a year basis. Uh, and so we've, we've, we've put very deliberately a mentorship program for all individuals in the department in place to address that issue. So those are two examples of how I think we're trying to do a couple of new things to, to broaden our, our catchment area, if you will, for new ideas. And of course, that that philosophy uh, of broadening our perspectives is is very much something that was was the focus of why we put together AO Spine Recode DCM to really capture that broader experience. And and the number one research priority, raising awareness, was really driven by by the people living with the disease as opposed to uh, the, the professional side. So I think that, that that's a testament to exactly why those those broader perspectives can have have significant value. Absolutely. I think that's why, to me, the DCM project is extremely valuable because it introduces the patient perspective and then that's what drives the science and drives next steps. And, and that's how it should be. So I think that's why I think it's, I, I really have enjoyed being part of the process for, for Recode. We're delighted to have you. And uh, it does sound like you're extremely busy with all of these, um, these processes. So before we let you disappear, back to the day job, I guess the final question is for somebody who might be looking to get into a sort of surgeon scientist role, or particularly within in myelopathy, is there any advice you would give someone at the beginning of their, their career? Well, I think it's important to have a, a good mentor who has experience, who understands the difficulties that are inherent with, with, the, with the broader development necessary uh, from a qualitative perspective, it is necessary for a surgeon scientist to be open. And in order to be open to new ideas, one needs to be humble. That, I think, lends a person to be receptive to things that they may not have thought of. When stated, it is simple, but I think it's really, really important that that's actually practiced. And then I think we, we talked about earlier about time management and discipline. I think discipline is extremely important. Every successful surgeon scientist has their own version of developed discipline. And I think it's important to really be extremely disciplined to, to be successful in, in, in that pathway. So a good mentor, good attitude, and good discipline. Those are the three things I think are the recipe. So there you have it. Time management and humility 
critical to succeeding as a surgeon scientist. But of course, there are other challenges alongside time pressures to overcome, and you can hear more about them throughout this series from aospine.org or by searching research top tips on your podcast provider. So until next time, a final thanks to our guest, Dr. Shaker Kerpad, our producer, Carl Homer from Cambridge TV, and of course, AO Spine. You can find lots more information about AO Spine Recode DCM, including more top tips episodes and other resources to support your DCM research at aospine.org forward slash recode. To stay abreast with the latest news in the field of DCM, why not subscribe to Myelopathy Matters on your favorite podcast app? Or if you have an experience or perspective you would like to share, please drop me an email, ben at myelopathy.org. Until next time, goodbye.